0: Before we get started, I want to point out that these conversations took place over the span of a few months and are not necessarily presented in the order they were recorded. Therefore we may touch on some, but not all, current events. In addition, when we say women, we mean all women. Although our dialogue often generalizes women into one social group with shared experiences, we want to specifically express our support for women in minorities of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, etc., and for those using their voices for positive change. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. This is The Table, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry.
1: Welcome to episode 11, where we have a special conversation with pop artist Therese. So pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone deserves a seat at The 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 table. Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let us stop you. Stop you. Don't let us stop. Stop you. Yeah. Don't, don't let stop. Don't, don't let stop you. stop you.
2: Therese
0: is a pop artist-songwriter based in Canada. Although she's currently working on her debut EP, she's anything but new to the music scene. Therese has already amassed a fanbase of over 130,000 followers, collaborated with influencers like Nicole Arbor, and performed across North America sharing stages with heavy hitters such as Keith Urban. With her passion originating from songwriting, Therese uses her music as a platform to discuss topics such as self-love, mental health, and acceptance, aiming to showcase her truth and make fans feel more accepting of theirs. Her deeply vulnerable and personal lyrics aim to make listeners feel related to and understood, while her pop melodies and dynamic vocals make you want to dance. Therese's pop sound dances on the borders of R&B and punk, creating an original and unforgettable sound. We are so proud to present a special conversation with therese so we have therese with us today which is really special she's an artist a songwriter and we're here to do a really unique episode we have a specific purpose and we're really thankful for her being with us and sharing her story and her time. So welcome, Therese.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And I love just women championing each other in the industry. And I'm very excited to be a part of this.
1: And I love the fact that you're Canadian Woo! and you're you're patched yeah, in from Canada. Calgary. <laughs> Yay,
0: Canada. All right, so Therese, because, um, You have such a unique story and we're here for a specific purpose, which we'll get into in a little bit. Can you give our listeners a little breakdown of who you are and what you do and what your background is in the entertainment industry?
2: Yeah, so I'm Therese. I'm a singer-songwriter. Like Victoria said, I'm from Canada. I mostly do pop music, but as a songwriter, I like to kind of mix genres and hop over to country and K-pop and kind of do all the things. I like to wear a lot of different hats. Um, I've been doing this since I was about 16 years old um, and traveling quite a bit between uh, Canada and Nashville and spending a lot of time down there. Um, And yeah, it's just what I love to do. I'm so passionate about it and I feel very privileged that I get to do it every day. Lovely. And how did you
0: get started in this industry? I know you said you started around 16, but where did that love of music and the desire to really pursue it as a career come into play for you?
2: Yeah, it came in when I was really young. I feel like I've been singing since I could. Um maybe not well, but since I could. <laughs> um and kind of around the age of 10 years old, my brother had uh, received a guitar from my parents for Christmas and I used to sneak into his room and play his guitar. It was a, a nice guitar, so they were like, "Can you maybe not?" Um <laughs> And so they ended up buying me um, my own guitar, and it was kind of one of those ones like you might find at Toys R Us or something like that. Um, and I just fell in love with it. I started writing songs and just as a creative kid, not really even maybe knowing what I was doing. And I started playing shows when I was about 12 and just truly fell so in love with it. Um, and when I was 16 is really when I started taking it seriously and started writing for other artists and started playing shows multiple times per week, um, and just really making an effort to do this as a career.
0: You are honestly one of the most hardworking artists I've met. Um, It's really inspiring um, to see and experience and to get to work with you is is one of my favorite things, not only because I love you as a person, but it's really, really encouraging and rewarding to work with someone who... Works the hardest out of their whole team and really has such a clear vision for who they are. That was one of the things I was really struck with the first time we met you. Um, if y'all are listening to this and haven't seen a picture of Trez, she's got like hot pink hair and the whole makeup is like on point. Check out her social so social media; it's like just incredibly aesthetically pleasing. Um, <laughs> and you just knew exactly what you wanted to say and who you were. And you know, if we threw out a line that hit the nail on the head, but maybe wasn't phrased in a way that felt that it was you. You just knew how to twist it. You knew what sounds you wanted, all that. And it's it's so impressive to watch you grow as an artist. And I'm really excited to to hear about your experience. But before we get into the story, we're here to tell. Um, what has your experience been as a woman in entertainment in the music industry um just overall
2: well first of all I want to say thank god this is a podcast when so no one can see how hard I'm blushing right now but thank you that was so nice um my experience as a woman in this industry has been very mixed um there's sometimes where I feel like it is so such a upper hand in this industry and obviously there's other times where you're like whoa that was not that was not how a man gets treated that's interesting um Maybe I'll start with the negative and then end off on the positive but obviously I mean it's it's really unfortunate that um women are seen in this industry as either young or sexualized and I say that for a reason I mentor this um young artist who's also Canadian named Haley Benedict and her and I had had a conversation about this she's so talented by the way y'all if you want to check her out she's just she's gonna be She's going to do amazing things. She's such a talent. Um, But I was talking to her and she was expressing how frustrating it can be to be in rooms and constantly be just reminded of how young you are. And I was like, girl, honestly, if it's not how young you are, it's some sort of sexualization of you. And so kind of ride that out. Enjoy it. (laughs) But um. Yeah, I think it's really unfortunate to show up to um, work and be sexualized in that way. I mean, I've had people call me like pet names like babe and baby in business meetings, and obviously some um, other stories that maybe um maybe I'll share at some point. But just kind of having to show up with that wall and that layer which is really not what songwriting is about or just genuine connection, which is performance, singing, songwriting, everything that a music career is based off of is genuine connection. So it can be challenging to navigate that when you're having to come with walls up kind of every time you're meeting with somebody that maybe you don't know that well. Um, That being said is the positive side (laughs) is that I have been in a lot of rooms where I don't know if they think I'm, I'm not listening or I'm too, I guess, dumb for lack of a better word to hear what they're saying and apply it to my career. So I've learned a lot of industry secrets by just being in rooms where people think that I just, I wouldn't be able to compute that with my little woman brain. Oh my gosh. And so they're just spewing industry secrets left, right and center. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just sit back and I'm not taking notes, I'm texting. <laughs> um, and so in, in those ways, it can kind of be a, a superpower. And I think that a lot of times being an underdog can, no one plans to beat out the underdog or plans a strategy around, well, the underdog is going to be a threat and they're going to come in and they're going to whatever. So they, they're they not even looking for you to come in, so they definitely won't see it. And I think that that is a huge Benefit as a woman, and I've just always believed that I mean, there's so much inequality, I think, especially with you know, women at country radio is a really great example of that. But if you are starting out your career or you are kind of in that mid stages, complaining about it is not gonna do anything. And I know that it's frustrating, and I know that sometimes it feels nice to just complain and just like ah, schlep it off, but. I've always had the mentality of change can really, really be sustainable if it's made from the top down. And so if you want to see change in this industry, I've just always had the perspective of, okay, then work your butt off, get to the top, and then make changes that are going to trickle down for all of those younger artists and going to help everybody instead of complaining and getting frustrated. Because it is frustrating. It's definitely not to negate that, but it just doesn't really move anything forward. Yeah, I think that's a a great thing to say that, most of the women that we've talked
0: to have touched on which is paying it forward or helping the next person in line and it can be really frustrating no matter what age no matter what genre there's always going to be something and then in pop especially it's kind of weird because you do have that but overwhelmingly pop is very female and those are the people that um you hear and see most of the time which is not the case in country so it's it's very interesting I, I know for me as a pop person in Nashville and pop probably for you as a pop person who spends a lot of time in Nashville um but I I love that you mentor young women and that you have that mentality because I think it really does infuse itself into every part um of what you do uh, but let's let's get started on this story because I want to make sure we have enough time to really delve into it and talk about it um so Therese was brave enough to offered to share her story with us, which is something that we naturally got into conversation about um, in a co-write, and we were just kind of catching up. It had been a minute, and she shared this, and I was so struck by, I mean, the craziness of this situation that you're in, but I also immediately got thrown back into situations not as severe that I've been in that, um, that really follow similar lines, and then a million stories that I have heard from fellow women in the industry, not even just in in music, and not even artists whose intention is to be in the public eye. Um, So will you share a little bit of, like, an overview of what's going on, and then we'll get into the, like, the details of everything.
2: Yeah, so this has been going on for, I believe it's about two, two and a half years now, of what I believe is, um, one person creating multiple accounts impersonating me. So as far as I know, there has been seven different accounts across multiple social media platforms. Um, And they kind of took it beyond just impersonating and using my photos and my name. And they actually started selling nude pictures. Um, I believe the account's run by a girl. I've actually got my hands on the pictures and they're I don't do that stuff. That's not mine that they're sending out. But that's why I believe the accounts run by girls that they're taking photos of themselves and selling them as though they're mine. Um, they're also doing paid video chats and paid meet and greets, which it sounds like what they're doing is they're taking a deposit for that video chat or that meet and greet, and then they'll just ghost, um, and so they'll take fifty percent of the total cost and. I know that because people have reached out to me through Twitter and there's public threads discussing this and um, unfortunately discussing people that have lost money with this. And there are people that have been in catfish relationships that I've been in touch with. And yeah, it's just been going on for a very long time. And I think one thing that has really become so prominent for me is just the very few options victims have in these situations to seek justice and to seek protection um and although i'm in the public eye and to some extent this is going to happen with people in the public eye i have seen stories of this happening to girls in college and this could be your sister or your friend or your cousin this is not just happening to people in the public eye So like I said, I think it was about two, two and a half years ago, and I found out because every single account I found out the same way is a fan messaged me a screenshot of it, and I was like, oh, and I think the first thing, I can't remember if it was an Instagram or a Tinder account, um, because they were both about around the same time, um, but the first time I found out about the accounts, um, the account had been posting for over a year using my photos and my name. yeah, and impersonating me, and it had, like, 400 followers, which a little bit, I was like, those are my fans, like, because she was posting my videos and my m- music and stuff, so I was like, mm, that's, that's too bad, but, um, and there was also a Tinder account um, that was based in Orlando, Florida, all of the accounts, all of the geotags have been based in Orlando, Florida, so I very much believe that they are based in Orlando, Florida, um, and there was also a Facebook that had over a thousand friends on the account um, that I'm guessing they had to use to create the Tinder account.
1: Hmm. So, what was your first reaction? How did you respond when you saw that um, imposter account? Did you go through the process of trying to report the account? Was that the first the first thing you did?
2: Yeah, I well, I'll say <laughs> first of all, in hindsight, I don't think I handled it as well as I could have, um, which I'll talk about, <laughs> but. Um, It was really frustrating because it is like they're using my pictures and my songs and my videos and everything, like everything that I've created and put so much work into. And so immediately, like I was commenting back to people on posts being like, this is a fake account. This is my real account and messaging people um, and trying to get them to I was like, "Okay, well, if we're going to get something out of this, at least let's get some fans out of it that have already kind of become fans in a sense, they're just not following the right account, necessarily. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I started with doing that. I then got copyright infringements on all of their um, posts that had my music. I thought that would just be a little bit more beneficial than just reporting the account right away. And then I reported the account. But since I would messaged all these people and commented all these things, I started getting all these messages from people um, that were trying to figure out what was going on and this fake account started posting and not denying the existence of my account but saying oh well, this is my personal account that's why we have personal conversations why i send personal photos to you and that's my promotional account it got hacked so that's that's what's going on there and why i say it didn't handle it that well is because oh i felt naturally very kind of attacked in a sense of like they're coming for like not only my work but like my character in a sense of like this is not who I am this does not resonate with me and I don't want to be seen this way because these are not my actions and so when people started messaging me and they were like oh no you're the fake account I was like no I'll hop on a video chat with you see if she'll hop on a video chat with you I'm not a fake account and that's why I say I didn't handle it well, because I did do a few video chats, one of which was with a girl who had been um, in a relationship with this fake account for three months. Um, and so she, <laughs> my mom put it very well. She was like, only you would have to break up with somebody you've never met.
0: Well, I want to touch on something. Sorry, before we go further, because it just popped in my head and I think it, it's a really good way to illustrate um, the juxtaposition of, like, male and female artists. Um, about a year or so ago, I have a friend who's uh, a fairly big um, country artist. And we were kind of new friends, but I, once we had, like, had some, like, I think Instagram interaction between our accounts, I started getting a couple of, like, followers from, uh fan accounts and then one day um someone claiming to be him on on his personal account um followed me and i think maybe messaged me or something and um i just kind of took a screenshot and sent it to him i was like hey dude what's up just wanted to let you know like there's a person impersonating you um out here and you know, they weren't, I don't even think they had many posts, Um, but I was just like, hey, just FYI, if you want to know. Um, And he messaged back. He was like, oh, thanks. Yeah, there's a lot of them. It's whatever. And like I thinking through that as you were talking, I don't think I've ever, to my knowledge, come across a, a man in the industry unless they're at like a very, very high famous like Sean Mendes-esque. Don't know anything about him, guys. Just using him as an example. Um, But kind of idolization, fame level. I don't think I've ever come across a man who's had a stalker who's had this kind of issue. And even if they do, I personally have never heard of one that has had a fan pretend to be them and have relationships send and exploit money, sexually explicit content, all that stuff. So it really is... A difference in it like we've talked about plenty of times before i think a lot of it has to do with the Hypersexualization of
1: women that goes beyond the norm. Obviously, I mean, I've had probably six or seven uh, imposter accounts in my name that people have sent to me, and usually I find find out about it the same way you did, like a fan taking a screenshot, sending it to me, and then just. But but usually it's nothing that has developed very far, right? It'll just have a few fans that are just getting started, and but nobody that's actually trying to exploit. Um, me for money. I mean, maybe if they got far enough, they would. But uh, that's, wow, I can't believe that it went that far.
2: Yeah, to to add another layer onto it. So when I was on FaceTime, or I guess we were on Instagram video chat with this girl that was in this catfished relationship, she I could tell she was very confused and conflicted. And one thing she said to me was, I'm on video chat with this girl and I'm like trying to manage my facial expressions as she said this to me because I was in complete shock. Um, But she said, I just don't know how this is possible because she sent me a video, a very like explicit video of herself in the mirror and I couldn't see her face but I could see your pink hair. And I know me, I don't send videos like that. I don't do that. So I know it's not me. But (laughs) whoever this person is I mean, pink hair, especially, like, the shade I have, it's, like, very, very pink. Um, it's not super, super common. And so I was like, okay, so they dyed their hair pink. That's, that's fine.
1: <laughs> Everything's fine. But, yeah, it's true. Like, the, uh, like male imposters would probably not be as likely to try and send out pornographic materials uh, based on the, the men they were trying to <laughs> portray. It's just as, yeah, it seems like a, a, a female issue
0: and i i think even though you said you know maybe you didn't handle it the best i i feel like i probably would have done the same thing i would have tried to comment and be like hey guys this isn't me because when things are starting out like that not even with situations like this but in general like the way social media is you don't know that it's beco- gonna become a massive thing until it's a massive thing so you were probably functioning like many other people like this is going to get shut down, but in the meantime, let me try and tell these 400 plus people where they can actually follow me, where they can actually get updates on my career um, that aren't shady. And that makes sense because there's no way that you could have known that two plus years later you would still be going through this, but at a bigger scale. So what what kind of happened next after that and then I'm also curious to know like how your team reacted
2: yeah so at the time I didn't have a big team I was pretty much completely independent I had like a couple th- hired staff who would do like this little task or that so it was pretty riding it solo um so that happened I reported the account it got removed the tinder it got taken down the facebook the instagram um and then twitter accounts started popping up and that's when it became very prominent that i knew that they were selling um nude photos i had an idea about it with the other accounts but they were they were not shy about it um and seeing some of the hashtags they would use like below my pictures like very vulgar things um and again just feeling like it's it's hard as an artist to differentiate between what's personal and what's business and especially in a situation like that to try to not take that personally and be like okay business-wise what are we going to do like I can't let this like hurt me and I mean now I feel like I've actually talked about this in therapy and really found like some strategies that um were finding a balance between the two because you really do especially when you don't have a team that can kind of be that um that gatekeeper for you um but so with the other Twitter accounts, I kept doing the same things, copyright infringement, and then report the account. I wasn't, at that point, I wasn't even trying to get people to come over to my page because I was like, the hashtags she's using, that, that's, that's okay. I don't, I don't need fans like that. Not that there's any judgment there, but if they're a fan of me because they think that I'm gonna, going to send them naked photos, I want fans because of my music not because of my body. So um, yeah, and that, and that continued. Um, the last account uh, before I kind of filled you in on the situation was in May and it was really frustrating. It was really frustrating um, because I, was, I had a single release at the time and it was just taking so much energy and time away. And it's, I mean, it's hard to kind of focus, I think, when you have personal things kind of going on in your life and you're trying to navigate the best way to handle it and you have big things happening within your business is finding a, a balance of where to put that energy and, and not get distracted. And I was really frustrated in May and that's the first time I called the police in Canada and I said, This has been going on for two years and I'm I'm done with it. Like there needs to be something, some type of action I can take because All these accounts had been linked. Um, I could tell that they were all connected through a couple of things, through the use of Orlando, Florida, every account, every geotag in Orlando, Florida. Seems like an odd place for just multiple um, people creating fake accounts to choose. And also the use of Therese Bowman. Um, My name is Therese, but my last name is in, in no way connected to Bowman. It's not a family name. There's just no connection there. And they were using this, if that wasn't the alias they were using, then they were using a cash app that was linked to that. Or they were also putting um, watermarks on the nude photos they were sending uh, that said Therese Bowman. Um, And so I called the police in Canada and they were like, well, there's kind of nothing we can do. We'll we'll make a note of it, Um, but it's out of our jurisdiction and it's not criminal. They're not doing anything that's criminal. And so that was really frustrating, really discouraging. And I don't, I actually don't remember saying this, but I guess last time that happened, I said to my mom, I was like, this time I'm going to let it go. If it happens one more time, we're going, we're, we're handling this. And I don't remember saying that, but when the account popped up this time, my mom was like, well, you said, <laughs> I was like, ah, okay. And, um, so this was a time that I really explored every avenue possible and I was extremely shocked to see that there are very very few avenues that um, victims in the situation can pursue. Really the only thing that isn't going to cost you an arm and a leg that will immediately handle the situation is just reporting the account and social media accounts for the most part won't block any I P addresses, or do anything that's actionable enough to ensure that someone won't just create another account. And so th- on the social media account side, they're just like, we'll just keep reporting it. And it's like, okay, but it, if it takes me two months to find it, and then all these people got screwed over, and they're using my face and my name to sell their nude photos, I don't really want to wait until another account pops up to deal with it. And at this point, I mean, like I said, it's been going on for over two years. So I'm concerned about my privacy and my safety of like, is this person okay? Like, I don't even post that sexual of content. And if you do, that's amazing. Girl, do your thing. But I can't, I'm like a very objective analytical person. I'm like, I can't understand why they would continuously use my photos when I'm not posting that provocative of things and there's other girls that are rocking that and I'm not saying that they should be victims and I shouldn't but it is confusing of like why do you why are you continuously choosing me um to impersonate and so that's why I started to feel like okay this is actually an issue um because they keep doing this they for now multiple years choosing me to impersonate. And so I, like I said, I pursued um, every avenue possible. I don't know if you want me to go into that. And I mean, possible in terms of like, kind of the things that were immediately available to me, given my budget, given that I'm Canadian.
1: If it was not happening outside Canada, do you feel like you would have more actions at your fingertips that you could take? Is it the fact that it's international that is causing part of the problem?
2: I don't believe so. I think that even if it, if I was American and it was happening in the U.S., it seems like there are very limited routes to take because I spoke to multiple American lawyers that handle issues like this. Um, but one of the issues was that I had called um, the Florida police station, the non-emergency line, and they wouldn't even talk to me. They wouldn't answer any questions. They wouldn't let me speak to an officer under pretty much any circumstance. There was nothing I could say. So that was definitely more problematic.
0: There's a lot to unpack there, first of all. but um, And there's something I, I want to touch on briefly in a second, but... um that is always so disheartening to hear and I can't imagine what it's like to go through that being not only your career being affected, but your personal, mental, emotional health. Like you said, you talked to your therapist about it. I know when I've had fans that got a little too um, in, into it and, and a little bit obsessed um, on a light level, I haven't had anything like that, but it really scared me and there was nothing they they weren't saying i want to find you they were just um, obsessive and they it was very obvious that they felt like they were too they were in my life like we were friends like it and which is what you want your fans to feel you want to be their friend and you want them to love what you do but there's a line and sometimes people cross it and i know for me it was it's all digital pretty much. There's a couple times I've met them in person. There's no, never been any issue. I just kind of shut it down pretty quick. But it it scared the hell out of me. And it really affected how I interacted with people or even the fact that like sometimes I wouldn't post for a while and I just would go out of my way to make sure that I nipped this in the bud before it became a bigger thing. And I can't imagine how it must feel to have this be ongoing to such a severe extent and not have any options in it i know when i in college i did a lot of human trafficking and sexual assault advocacy and a big part of that was once people found out they would come tell me their stories and i felt so um i don't know i'm blanking on another word but blessed that someone felt like they trusted me enough to share that but it also was very heavy because most of the stories that involve stalkers or obsession follow that same line of um of there not being any resources until something negative happens, until something tangible, physical, violent, etc. happens. And that should
1: not be the case ever.
2: Yes, absolutely.
1: And such a sense of powerlessness that you would have and I mean, I don't know if you had this going into it, but for me, I've always had, I guess, a naive way of looking at things where when you see somebody doing something like that, that's obviously wrong and should be illegal, you have a level of trust and belief that there's a system in place where you can just get it dealt with. And then when it becomes obvious to you that that's not the case, all of a sudden, it's like the Wild West, and you don't have... You have no power over someone doing something wrong against you, and and what does that do to you emotionally? And how do you, how do you live with that every day, knowing that this is basically like a full time job on the side for you dealing with this person, right? So how do you do that?
2: Yeah, I, it has been such a trip <laughs> recognizing that because this was, I mean, I've seen like it's here and there of oh like the the legal system isn't really covering this or um, why aren't police helping with this? But this was the first time where I was like, wow, I'm alone. I'm There's no one that's in going to help this situation for free. Everyone is a hired service provider because no one has created a, a legal system that is actually going to make this criminal and protect people in these situations and to your point about um having to have something bad happen before you can really take action that was that has been so at the front of my mind since this happened and since i've had these conversations with police because i was asking can i get a restraining order the clearly this person this is going on for two years i just want them to leave me alone um, I don't want any money. I don't want anything out of this. I want them to leave me alone, and that's that's all I want at this point. And that's exactly what they said was, well, there's no physical threat to you, so you can't get a restraining order. And it's like, oh, okay. So I will just wait until there's an attempted assault, attempted kidnapping, attempted murder. I'll just I'll just wait until something bad happens, and then you'll take it seriously and allow me to get a restraining order. To me, that was so surprising and so disheartening um, because it does seem very backwards that I don't feel safe. And they're like, well, until you're actually not safe, then we'll we'll look at addressing it. There's
0: a um, situation I'm going to try and and just kind of bullet point it. But one of the people I worked with um, very closely when I worked with um, human trafficking victims was... um, Someone whose story was pretty insane, very unlike what you would expect for trafficking. And one of the biggest things that struck me about her story, I spent a semester learning about her and with her and creating this project around her story. And um, she said her case was, I believe it was tried in Washington State. Her case was the very first she made history because her case was the very first one that successfully got a conviction while the victim was still alive, in I think it was 2015.
2: Oh my gosh! I just got full-body goosebumps.
0: Yeah, and she said there there's a handful of states. I think at the time there was four states in the U.S. that had this massive loophole of a law, um, but people who seek to do shady things know their way around those things and educate themselves on stuff like that for a reason. But she said, you know, the only other person that had kind of successfully gotten a conviction in that area was a woman who had successfully gotten a restraining order against, it was her, I think, boyfriend or husband um, that was doing it. And they served the warrant to him while she was home and left. And then he killed her. And her family, her daughters, are the ones who took it to court and they got a conviction. But, um, and there was, yeah, there was some other part of that. And I don't say that to scare anybody, but I think that illustrates the kinds of massive holes that are in our justice system, especially when it comes to issues surrounding women, in particular, because not that it doesn't happen to men, it absolutely does, it can happen to any person out there, but the numbers don't lie, and statistically speaking, this kind of thing and issues similar happen to women um, the majority of the time, and um, I know that that was kind of a, a serious, extra serious thing to bring up, but um, it. It makes me think of like just how many hoops you have to jump through to possibly get something to happen. And I also wanted to touch on the fact that um, money and socioeconomic status play a big role in whether or not you are able to find justice or secure safety for yourself. Because if you have all the money in the world, you can hire all the lawyers and all the investigators and all the bodyguards you want but if you're a normal person, especially someone in, let's say, the creative field who doesn't often make a lot of money unless you're at a certain level, um, it's hard to protect yourself.
1: Yeah. Therese, can you talk a little bit about what you found when you were exploring the different ways that you could protect yourself in in the situation you're in?
2: Yeah, for sure. So kind of what Sarah mentioned is hiring a private investigator because since this is not a criminal suit it's it's a civil um issue then the police aren't going to help you so you have to to pursue legal action against this person first find out who's actually running the account so I received the quote that it would cost about five thousand dollars U.S. to find this person. And so that's just to find them. That's not pursuing any legal action. And then on top of that, then you could sue for defamation of character, copyright infringement. Um, There's a couple different things you can sue for based on what kind of played out in that situation. So that becomes an extremely expensive route to go. And something that I feel very conflicted about is I had people offer like, why don't you start a GoFundMe? Like, I want to help you with this. And also, I don't wanna take money for that. I don't wanna take money to fix my situation and then be like, oh well, if it happens to somebody else, like hopefully they'll figure it out. Like that money should go towards actually creating a solution so that this doesn't happen, or if it does, then women or men in these situations have the proper resources to actually get justice and feel safe. It's not just it's a band-aid fix to fix my issue, I think. Um and so that was one of the routes you can go. Another route you can go is if people are losing money um, in this situation, then you can get them to pursue criminal action, which again, in no way protects the actual victim of the impersonation, but it does protect the people who have lost money. So that's nice. That's definitely how we want to protect people. Money over human beings, <laughs> right, and in that situation, so I, I did look into that and pursue that, but um, you are relying on somebody else going through the criminal process um, that yeah might kind of benefit them, but it 's not over thousands and thousands of dollars it 's typically within like the the small hundreds, so for them that 's obviously quite the hassle that 's quite time consuming and energy consuming. Um, And so I found that either people weren't interested or they were interested. And then my lawyer reminded me that I should remind them that if they were paying for um, any sexual actions that they could be indicting themselves. And so with those two things, yeah, I couldn't get anyone to come forward um, with that. A couple other things that um, potentially people... In the public eye, or even if you're not, if this is something that's of interest to you, is um, doing an outreach on social media just to make people aware of these situations. Um, And because I I think a lot of people don't even know this is a problem. And so they don't need it. Because I wouldn't know either until it actually happened to me. And you can be very um, naive to it. And and like you said, just assume that the system accounts for situations like this. Um, and so I, I've seen some, specifically some girls in college uh, who are not in the public eye, go to places like TikTok with their stories. And I think that it's actually been really helpful and It can feel very isolating when you're in a situation like this and hearing that you are not alone that this happens to other people sometimes that can be just that little like string of hope because going back to the how this affects your mental health is it's extremely isolating in my situation i don't have anyone in my circle who has experienced anything like this so i don't have anyone i can go to and be like hey when this happened to you like, did you feel this way too? Did you do this? How did you navigate this? I don't have anybody I can go to to talk about that. And I, I adore my therapist, but even she's like, dude, I've never been through that. <laughs> um, and so I think people sharing their story can be really helpful in kind of soothing a bit of that isolation feeling and a bit of that um, embarrassment that comes with it. And it's, it's not for you to feel embarrassed about, but I think it's a natural reaction in that situation. It's humiliating. Um, and I think it is really important to have people that you can connect with that can relate on some level. Because now that I do have a team around me, it is mostly men. And I love women. I want more women on my team if you're listening. Girl, reach out. Because um, <laughs> just where I'm, I live in Canada, there's not much of a music industry here. And so it's a lot of men. And when this happened last time, we were talking about how this could affect the single releases and if sh- we should switch singles around. Because um, the first single is very, like, off my next project is very, like, playful and fun and kind of sexy. And, and I was like, I don't want to feed into this but also that's who I am. Like I want people to feel joyful and have fun and dance. And that's what I want to do. But I also don't, if I do post something on social media about this, I don't want to have that backlash of like, well, you were just talking about how this is a problem. And so it was, I adore my team, but it was really challenging to sit in a boardroom with a group of men who are extremely amazing and supportive and have just be there and be like okay no one's probably no one in this room is probably going to experience this in their lifetime um and i don't i don't know how they're perceiving this situation i mean i'm they're my team and i'm assuming that they are like on my on my side 100 percent. but also i'm not somebody who feeds off pity and i don't like that feeling that you get from people having pity on you and it just felt like there was kind of no safe place you could go Um, and having, I think people really try to help and try to say something that's going to help. And I think it's just one of those situations where, um, it's really hard to help unless you, it's hard to say something that's going to soothe it. Cause saying, well, you're in the public eye, it's going to happen. It's like, I know it's going to happen, but that doesn't soothe how I'm feeling right now. That actually kind of negates how I'm feeling because I am human and I think that to some extent at any level, like, yes, you create thicker skin, but you're still human. And you're still human under that thick skin and things are going to break through sometimes.
0: You signed up to be in the public eye for your career, but you, nobody ever signs up to be exploited, to be threatened, have their safety and their career and their personal life and their character threatened. I think that's a really big thing that we need to dispel in our industry and in our culture and society is that when someone signs up to be in the public eye that anything that happens to them was asked for or that everything is fair game. It's the same Thing with um, what you touched on with, the uh, you know, not wanting to, um, not posting things that are overtly sexual, but having to switch around your singles. Th- that's something that I've had to think about as an artist as well. And Victoria, I'm sure you have as well, which is, I don't want my career to hinge on sex, but I want to be able to release something that communicates how I'm feeling and if I so happen to be feeling a little sexy that's fine but that's my choice to put that out there in a way that feels authentic to me it is not someone else's job to decide who I am who I am not and it's not your career is not a one-faceted thing if you put something sexual out there you are not 100% that as a human
1: Um, and and so I think you described it in a great way and there's a difference between being in the public eye and being public property. Being in the public eye does not mean that you belong to the public. I think that there are a lot of strange perceptions in our society about celebrity in general. And... Um, you know, we've had conversations before about people saying celebrities should should shut up and sing or shut up and act or whatever, not have a right to their opinions, not have a right to say what they feel. Uh, so this just takes that even further, you know. But I think the fact that social media has become as widespread as it is now basically broadcasts that problem that celebrities used to have to everyone in society who is participating now in social media, because we're all celebrities to some extent when we're on there. And so obviously there are further protections that need to be put in place. And this is just really exposing that fact um, that there's a lack of legislation that needs to be done. And, And I know often with things like this, where technology outruns where the laws protections are, the changes have to happen from sort of a grassroots organized movement that would be like a charity or a foundation or something like that, that would basically gather people together who had experienced this and then fundraise and then try to put things into, into action to get things changed politically and legally. Um, do you, have you heard of anybody doing that for this particular issue?
2: So I made a list (laughs) before, um, I, I made a list, uh, for anyone who's listening, who's experiencing anything like this, these are different foundations you can reach out to. Some of them are focused on creating actual change or providing resources with victims and others are, there to help you um navigate those situations and connect you with um other victims that can help you navigate those situations as well and really um connect with you on that level of of the actual experience so some of the ones that i found uh the first one is called heart mob um it's where you can report online abuse and find support um and if you are listening to this and maybe you're not experiencing this, but you recognize that this is a problem, then you can also donate to them, um, whether it's monetary donations or if you have a platform and you, and you want to share it, I'm sure that they would absolutely appreciate it and it might provide um, other people who are in this situation with that resource. Another one is called Crash Override Network, which provides crisis support and assistance for the targets of online harassment. Um, there's a really great article I found, and I can I can send you guys links to all of these that you can um, put wherever will be accessible to people. Um, it's from uh, an outlet called Feminist Frequency, and the article is titled Speak Up and Stay Safe, and it's a guide to protecting yourself from online harassment. Um, and another one I found was the Online Abuse Prevention Initiative, and it's it studies abuse patterns, online abuse patterns, and creates anti-harassment tools, and also collaborates with some of the large tech conglomerates um, to better support communities in these situations. So those are the a few of the the ones that I found. Um, and yeah, I think I think to kind of go back to why women supporting women is so important in, in this industry is we've talked a lot about why this likely happens to women more so than it happens to men, specifically in the situation of being sexually exploited in in partnership with impersonation. Um, and it it is really helpful to have someone in your corner who has been there, who gets it, who understands how frustrating it is, who has tried to navigate the system, who can help you navigate the system so you are not wasting your energy somewhere where it's a dead road because I've been there. <laughs> um, and for anyone who's listening to this who is in a similar situation, I would like to offer that you can reach out to me on social media and, uh, and I mean, I'm happy to talk with you because I know how lonely it can be um, and just how, how odd it can be. It's really hard to talk about with other people. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really odd situation to navigate and if you are navigating it right now and you're feeling confused and embarrassed and kind of all the feelings, then I wouldn't get down on yourself. I think that's absolutely normal to um, to feel all sorts of ways um, because this, this isn't fair. And even though the system isn't protecting you as though you are a victim, this system is unfair in this corner. And you absolutely are... Um, the victim of someone doing wrongs against you that's a perfect
0: way to put it and also a beautiful thing to offer because i mean personally i know how how big your heart is but um going through this and still offering to reach out to people or to have people connect with you over this um is above and beyond and the fact that you took the time to make that list and i, I know we were talking a little bit about it and you were saying you want to do some more research and Um, we'll include those links Um, and before we kind of wrap things up i did want to ask victoria when you were talking it made me curious um how you or if you've seen stuff like this evolve in the industry and for yourself and with the artists that you work with over time because you've worked with artists for decades and you've been an artist yourself you've toured and performed you've helped people with their singles and putting together their brand and i imagine especially having your career in a time kind of before social media and during, um, what kinds of things have
1: you seen or experienced or or heard about from the people that you work with? So the sort of standard issue for a long time has been the sort of stalker slash fan who would, and that was an in-person sort of stalker, so that would show up at, the events that would just cross lines, you know, and, um, and so you would have to uh, put protocols in place for when that person was planning to show up somewhere when you when you found out that that person was going to be somewhere and you would have to plan for that and make sure your team planned for that make sure security at the venue knew they were going to be there that kind of thing. Um, and And so those things are obviously still continuing as well, but there's definitely been more of a movement into online impersonation being um, a huge issue. And so for me, I've had I've had that happen with with my social media accounts uh, multiple times. And I've always kind of wondered, well, what's in it for this person? Like, why do they have this much time on their hands and why are they bothering with it? But I guess, Therese, your case shows what the end game could be for someone like that, where why are they creating connections with my fans and trying to friend my fans and pose as me? It's probably to extort some money at some point, because what else would be in it for them, you know? So, um, yeah. And... uh, I've just seen a lot of a lot of that going on. I've seen a lot of uh, hacking going on in people's websites, uh, that kind of issue. So there's definitely problems with that um, that have evolved more and more as time has gone on. and and as is the case with new technology, there aren't really the protections in place that need to be there. So I'm, I'm really grateful, Terez, that you're willing to have this conversation and that we were able to do this special episode and talk about it because it's something that people need to be aware of. Um, and as users of social media as well, be aware when you see somebody... When you see a profile that looks fishy, that looks like they are impersonating someone, report them to that person. Um, because that's a big part of what you were saying, Therese. A big part of trying to fight this is you have to know that it's out there. And the internet is deep and wide and vast, and you don't even know that these things are there until somebody brings them to your attention. So having fans that are that are proactive in doing that is a really important part of the process too.
2: Absolutely. And there's uh reverse image search engines that you can use. I, I have currently not found one that is reliable enough because they, I don't think they pick up pictures on Instagram specifically. I do think they pick up pictures on Twitter. However, that being said, sometimes I know a picture has been posted and I'm purposely searching it to see if that's the only place where it's been posted and it hasn't even picked up um, the first um, Twitter thread that I saw it on. So even if you're curious, if this is happening to you, really like your fans are, I mean, they're so amazing for so many reasons, but this is another, just yet another way that they are so hugely just the sweetest humans. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make a note of that just in case you're thinking, oh no, I'm good. Cause I, I didn't see any, any pictures in the reverse search engines just maybe be mindful of that
0: that's a, a great thing to point out and and just to kind of piggyback off what both of you were saying um i think you can never underestimate the power of someone telling their story and like you said trez making other people feel like they're not alone in this because i know when i got the first fan that was a little too uh, obsessed um, I was going to a show that I was playing with a, a round of wonderful women. Um, and I mentioned it when we were in the green room and, um, they were all like, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. And some of them had indeed had the same person and done kind of the same day- thing. And then, you know, the 45 minutes before the show, we ended up all just going back and forth and every single woman had had at least two instances some to the point where people made websites about them and photoshopped and it became um, possibly like a violent situation and some of them like me that had had mild social media instances um and I could tell that every single one of us was relieved to know that someone else had gone through that and we, it wasn't like we were happy to talk about it, but we were relieved to find stuff and we would share like, oh yeah, I did this and this really helped. Um, so I want to applaud you, like Victoria said, for sharing your story because I know that it's going to make a lot of people feel um, seen and heard and like they're not alone. Um, so I think we're, we're super excited to put this out there. But um, to end on a lighter note, let's wrap it up with a couple of rapid fire questions so your favorite creator at the moment
2: Ariana Grande I just love the way that she has handled herself in the public eye and I think especially given this conversation too about talking so much about the public eye I think that she has handled that so well and I love that she just
1: lets her music speak for her great answer okay what about uh, your favorite trend right now
2: I don't know if this is just a quarantine trend but sweatshirts (laughs) that was the first thing that came to mind i was like i'm really i'm really enjoying the comfy parts <laughs> sweatshirts are a great trend um a trend you wish would stop um i was gonna say people creating only fans accounts for just financial growth and not being cognizant of how that might impact their future it's all good if that's what you want to do but just i don't know if everyone's having the forethought to see how that could affect their future
0: yeah, you never know. You're a completely different person at 18 than you are at 25 than you are at 30 or 40. So, Okay, when was the
1: last time that you failed?
2: I, You know, I'm having trouble thinking of one because I think that every day there's little failures, and I think it's all about your perspective and how you look at it. Um, and a failure doesn't need to be a failure if you learn from it, and uh, you just reset your attitude and your energy.
0: All right, last one. Um, If you could go back in time to yourself in the past at any point,
2: um, what advice would you give her? I would give her the advice that you have one life and you could fail doing anything, whether it's considered a normal path or an abnormal path, whether it's considered a normal hair color or a not normal hair color, um, that people are going to not like you regardless of what you do. So you might as well be as truly authentic as you can, because you're going to have those issues either way.
1: Well, thank you, Therese, so much for sharing your story. And we really appreciate it. And we hope that it's going to open some eyes out there um, among the listeners and get some people fired up to help change this issue for you and for anyone else who is going to be experiencing this.
2: Thank you again so much for letting me use this amazing platform you've created. And I had such a great chat with you guys today. It feels like you're just like hanging out
1: with friends. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women.
0: Our theme song Stop You is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah
1: DeFors, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes.
0: We'll see you next time on
1: the, the table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let, them stop, you. Stop, you. Don't, don't let them stop. 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 Don't let them stop. You. Don't let us stop. Don't, don't let us stop you.